Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. It's the wine of God's wrath, which should make us stupor and drunkenly fall to our death. But because Jesus did that, we actually drink it as the product of God's mm-hmm. wrath, being the blood that was spilled yeah. by the death. And so we're tasting the aftermath of it. Like that, be- it's not wrath we taste; it's the result of wrath yeah. being blood, knowing the wrath is dealt with. Yeah, like blood has wine. been instead of yeah, which makes it sweet. Yeah, man, and I do love that idea of like the wrath that should have led to a funeral instead became the wine at a wedding. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible is about him. In each episode, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are concluding our journey through the book of Jeremiah today, and we are looking at the aspect of Jeremiah that I know the least about, and that is Jesus as a new and better Jeremiah. I've studied Jeremiah a lot in college. I studied it whenever we did the introduction, and this idea that's actually quite broader than I thought it was when you first brought it up of Jesus being the new Jeremiah, I kind of cast aside and I was like, yeah, Jesus is the new and better every biblical character. Yes. And you're like, no, 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 uniquely, there's something happening with Jeremiah mapping onto the life of Christ yeah. that I know very little about. So I'm very excited to learn from you. So how are you yes. feeling about Jesus as the new Jeremiah? I'm super excited to take you through all of that stuff uh, because it's not particularly surprising because mm. as you said, it's like, isn't Jesus the better version of every good character in the Bible? <laughs> right. I'm like, yes. But there is something special about Jeremiah's role in the biblical story and how Jesus carries on the ministry of Jeremiah. That's awesome. Uh, Two questions, I guess, meta, before we hop into the details. Yes. One, and just because we have the time maybe to ask this question, Yes. why should we be looking for Jesus as the fulfillment of biblical characters in like an escalation or something? Like as we... As as just a category or as as an As a hermeneutical category. um, And then... Two, what's the proof that Jesus is uniquely a new and better Jeremiah? Like, what's the what? Why should we be looking for Jeremiah in the ministry of Jesus? Why are we even asking the question? Yeah, so well, those I, are two. I mean, the answer to that question mm-hmm. is the same. The answer to both questions oh, is the same. Okay, it's because the New Testament authors train us to do so. Mm. Uh, so frequently, the New Testament authors are going to point out parallels between Jesus and Old Testament characters 
all the time. Okay. Um, and the same goes with Jeremiah. It's mm. like the New Testament authors want us to draw parallels between Jeremiah's ministry and Jesus's ministry, mm. and they write their gospel accounts to show that to us, or they'll do it to show us how Jesus is like David. So mm-hmm. the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew right. wants to prove that Jesus is a son of David, fulfilling right. the character arc of David in the Old Testament, the promises that God made in 2 Samuel 7. Right, or like a uh, new Abraham who brings blessings to all nations. Yes. It's like it's, we've been trained to see this. That's right. So th- yeah. the answer is, why do we do this? Is because the New Testament authors want mm. us to do this. Yeah. The New Testament authors want us to look back and see Jesus as the fulfillment or the continuation of a story that began in David or Mm. Jeremiah, but also because the Old Testament writers knew that they themselves were part of patterns that would be projected into the future and onto the Messiah. Right. So I think Jeremiah understands that he's not just another prophet. Mm-hmm. We talked about this at length, but he's another prophet like Moses. Right, from Deut- prophesied in Deuteronomy 18. Yes, prophesied in Deuteronomy 18. And that prophet, is he's not going to be the last one because there's a new right. covenant that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. That more than likely, God will have another prophet to begin that Who's moment. Who's like Moses and Jeremiah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's And right. so, and we, I don't know if we talked about this a ton, but a lot of Jeremiah's prophecies are kind of scrubbed of mm. his personal voice mm. so that the voice of God like takes the forefront. So even though we know Jeremiah is speaking them, it's the, the main character, the main speaker is God mm. more than it is Jeremiah. Yeah. So I would say that's probably a literary choice on Jeremiah's part to show that the words that he's speaking aren't just words that he said as a historical character, but things that God is saying to his people through all time that will one day be fulfilled yet again. Okay. Right. Can I break that down into yes. like three points? Because I think that's really helpful. So the New Testament authors train us to look back mm-hmm. to see how Jesus fulfills themes, patterns, characters. Yes. And so they have taught us how to read our Bible. So we're following their lead. Mm-hmm. The Old Testament projects those patterns forward. And even people were aware and cognizant of how they were sitting in mm-hmm. patterns like Jeremiah, knowing that he's the new Moses, but knowing that. Ultimately, it wasn't the completion of that pattern, and so they're looking forward. Mm -hmm. So the New Testament teaches us to look back, the Old Testament teaches us to look forward, but then you also brought up a cool third point, which is there's this forefront divine author of Scripture who is saying things through his word Mm -hmm. that are all connected, regardless of which epoch or testament they occur in. There's one forefront author that overshadows even the characters of the Bible to tell a unified story. So, of course, they connect yes. because of the unified authorship of Scripture being yeah. God. Yes. Okay, that's really helpful. Yeah, and that would be the really quick way. So why should we be looking for Jesus as the new Jeremiah? For all those reasons. Love it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, is but, but then focusing on Jeremiah in particular, uh, we haven't done this with every prophet. No, we haven't. So why particularly are you excited to be like, uh, but let's really give a whole episode... <laughs> to Jesus being the new Jeremiah, because we don't have like a Jesus is the new Haggai episode. We don't have that. <laughs> we don't have that one. Um, it's because of Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Sure, blame Matthew. Uh, so Matthew, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, hmm. who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say 
Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Mm. So what is Jesus asking in this moment? Jesus is asking his disciples, who are people saying that I am? What is people's perception of me? And one of the common perceptions about Jesus was that he was a new Jeremiah. So just from the public-facing side of his ministry, from what people could tell just by observing Jesus at a distance, Mm -hmm. was that, man, Jesus seems to be a lot like Jeremiah. So the first reason why I'm excited to talk about this is like this was something that just the average Jewish guy on the street seemed to pick up about Jesus. Mm, maybe not, somebody who wasn't even a follower of his. Maybe not somebody not, not even a follower, just somebody on the street. Who do people say that I am? It's like, oh, that guy's like Jeremiah. That guy's like Jeremiah. Mm. And then on top of that, the biblical authors are going to pack their gospel accounts with references to the story of Jeremiah uh, in their description of Jesus's life and ministry, particularly when it comes to G- what Jesus says about the temple in Jerusalem. Mm. And Jesus himself understands that he's bringing to fulfillment what Jeremiah predicted, the new covenant. Okay. This is the new covenant in my blood. All right. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll let this episode slide then. You'll let it slide. We can do it. <laughs> you, we can do it. <laughs> Have I convinced you yet? Yeah, I'm uh, convinced. I'm ready for the journey. Where um, do you want to start? Let's just start with a really basic observation. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah and Jesus were both single. Okay, yeah. Um, Jeremiah is the only prophet in Scripture where God commands his singleness. Mm. And I don't think I can say this to the same degree, but as far as I'm aware, Jeremiah is the only single prophet Mm. in Scripture. He's the only one specifically commanded to remain single. Right, but he might have been. He might have been the only single prophet Mm. in Scripture who was single. Yeah. And Jesus... definitely uniquely single. He's uniquely single. Yeah, that's the the big point. And. This would have been just out of step for his time. Absolutely. Um, And so the fact that Jesus is also single would have been out of step for his time. Mm -hmm. But Jeremiah's singleness is a prophetic symbol in the same way that Jesus' singleness is a prophetic symbol. Absolutely. Um, So Jeremiah is told in Jeremiah 16, 1 to 2, that he's not going to get married. He's Mm -hmm. not going to have kids. He's not going to attend funerals or attend weddings. Right. Because he, in his own body, is going to... to, um, embody mm-hmm. the exile Symbolize of God's people. It's like God's, people. God's people are going to die. Okay. They're going to be fatherless. They're going to be childless. They're not going to get married anymore. It's mm-hmm. all going to go downhill. So Jeremiah, by remaining single, is proving in his own life the sterility and the death coming to Israel, to mm-hmm. Judah. And so Jesus, when he picks up that same singleness, is in the vein of Jeremiah. It seems as if in his own ministry as he was living... He's yeah. embodying the exile of God's people yet again. Mm. So that's the first, like, just on the nose, they're both single men. So if you're the average guy on the street in Jerusalem, like, oh, there's only really one other single prophet, mm. and that was Jeremiah. Yeah. Jesus is kind of like Jeremiah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, single prophet. Jeremiah, maybe? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Right. Yep. Uh, can I just sidebar? Yes, and please. just notice something I've never noticed about the prophetic nature of Jesus's singleness. Yes, please. (laughs) And it's like, it's fascinating that what would it have been like if Jesus had a devoted wife that he loved dearly? I would have always felt like as the bride of Christ, I was second class to her. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. 
but his singleness shows me he is open to fully love me mm-hmm. as his bride. Yeah. I don't there's not a competition there. Yeah, we can just let's just land this plane then. Let's okay. like so what's the point of Jeremiah's singleness uh-huh. to prove the sterility and the divorce that is coming upon Israel? Mm-hmm. What's the point of Jesus's singleness though? Mm. It's in a sense it's the exile of God's people. But ultimately, it's the fact that he is betrothed yeah. to God's people. He's the bridegroom. He calls he's himself the, that. He's the bridegroom. His first miracle is yep. making wine at a wedding. Right. It'd be really weird if the bridegroom was already married. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> so really the weird. reason Jesus is single is for the opposite reason in some ways that Jeremiah is single. Uh, his singleness is divorce. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's a lone uh, he's like bachelor. God. He's like God whose wife has left him. Yep. And but Jesus is he's he's leaving a marriage. Jesus is entering one. Right, and then Jesus and too, you have to be single for both of those. That's, to that's, make that's, sense. Ex- that's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. So Jesus is single as a symbol that he has come for a new covenant, a new creation, a new marriage with his people. Oh, that's cool. Right. I love that. Isn't that cool? <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Um, but so that's the, like the theological significance of that moment. Yeah. But a ton of other reasons why okay. people would see Jesus as a new Jeremiah. Mm. One is the stuff he says. So in Jesus, in denouncing Jerusalem and the religious establishment of Judah at the time, he just sounds a lot like Jeremiah. Mm. So he uses the same language. He calls the uh, the religious establishment a den of robbers, just as Jeremiah calls them yes. a den of robbers. He critiques Jerusalem for their idolatry of the temple in the mm-hmm. same way that Jeremiah critiques Jerusalem for their idolatry of the temple uh, and for failing to obey the heart of the Torah. Yeah. You should have done all those things and also love mercy and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah says the same thing in Jeremiah 7, 4, and 6. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of combines those things together. He says this, Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. So Jeremiah is saying, Don't trust that the temple is going to protect you in any special way. For if you truly amended your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute Mm. justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place. So Jeremiah sounds a lot like Jesus there, Mm -hmm. denouncing the trust in a religious order without the mercy and justice that that religious order is supposed to represent. Yes. He sounds like Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. Jesus sounds like Jeremiah. Um, Both Jeremiah and Jesus describe Israel as a country that kills its own prophets. Oh, wow. Um, Oh, Jerusalem, the one that kills its own prophets. Jeremiah and Jesus both say this. Mm. They even make use of the same parables. Jeremiah in uh, chapter 23 refers to the shepherds of God's people, the leaders of God's people, the priests, the prophets, the kings, as corrupt shepherds Hmm. who are stealing and killing and hurting God's people. This is John 10. And Jesus says the same thing. And then Jeremiah specifically says, I will send you a new shepherd. Oh, wow. And so Jesus comes to the scene. I am the new shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and your people are stealing, and your shepherds are doing what? They're hired hands. They're stealing and killing. Yep, and take they, they've it. Come, yeah, they come to kill, steal, and destroy. That's right. Yeah. Jeremiah also uses this image of like a fruit, a fruitless or a rotten fig tree oh. to describe the religious elite in the political order of Jerusalem. And Jesus does exactly the same thing in Mark 11 and, mm-hmm. and Luke 19. So if you're just... When he curses the fig tree. When he curses the fig tree. As a picture at, of the destruction of the temple. That's exactly And the right. fruitlessness of Israel's religion. That's right. Fascinating. And they both 
prophesied the destruction of the temple. Yeah, importantly. Uh, yeah. Importantly, super importantly, yeah. they both prophesied the destruction of the mm. temple for its sins. So if you're just the average guy on the street and you grew up hearing the stories about Jeremiah, yeah. you would have drawn the conclusion that, man, this gee, guy is this guy sounds like he really likes Jeremiah. Yeah. <laughs> this guy is like a cover band for Jeremiah. <laughs> okay. That's that's fascinating. I mean, are there more? I mean, that's that's a pretty exhaustive list, okay. but there's pro- there are more, but yes. we'll let I mean, yeah, there's there. lots of quotations and allusions and Yeah, like it's okay. like, yeah, there's so much. Uh why should we care? Oh, great question. <laughs> It's, I have a whole section is why does this matter? Oh, well, great. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> we, right now, uh, I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Let's, cool. Uh, let's keep going. Yeah, yeah, We should care for one of the reasons I've already suggested is that in the same way that Jeremiah embodies the exile of God's people, the divorce of God's people, his life in effect in the words that he says are all about the death and eventual return of God's people, right? Mm-hmm. That's what a singleness represents. That's what the content of a lot of his prophecies is. You must die. You must die. You must die. I'm embodying a living death. I'm going to mm. go into prison. I'm going to come back out again. But at the end, you'll return. So yeah. Jeremiah embodies this exile, but also at points in times, the hope of restoration. He yeah. gets pulled up out of prison. You know, He's still alive at the mm-hmm. end of the story. The reason we should care that Jesus is new Jeremiah is because he's embodying the exile and the resurrection of God's people. Yes. We all must die. Yeah. But he's also doing something that Jeremiah did not do. He rose from the dead and sat himself at God's right hand. So what is the ultimate end of those who follow Jesus into the grave, Mm. who obey the covenant, who join themselves in this new covenant, who are married to this new groom? Resurrection. Yeah, in the new kingdom. In the new kingdom. And how do we know? Jesus embodied it in his own life. Mm. And not just in his resurrection, but by doing the things Jeremiah was forbidden to do. Right. Jeremiah was not allowed to go to funerals. Jesus attends them all and does what? He raises the dead. He raises the dead. (laughs) Disrupting funerals. Jeremiah wasn't allowed to go to weddings. Jesus makes weddings better. He's like, let's really party. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Jeremiah wasn't allowed to have children or to marry, but we are called his bride and brothers and sisters of one another. He's made millions of sons and daughters. That's that's exactly yeah. right. So like Jesus, the reason why Jesus is a new Jeremiah matters is if mm. Jeremiah is embodying the death of God's people, Jesus shows what it looks like to be the new life, to experience the new life of God's people. Oh, that's so good. Just as Jeremiah's physical representation, along with the words that he spoke, yeah of the death that Israel must face. It, it represented the inevitable nature of Israel's destruction. Yeah. Um, so in the same way, does Jesus' death and resurrection show us the inevitability of our life in him if we simply trust the death that he's calling us to? Yeah. Simply. You, you tell me simply. never. You tell me, you tell me never to <laughs> you simply or only when talking about the, the trusting, uh-huh. trusting Jesus simply. of our lives. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, what, what else? You've got this picture of of exile mm-hmm. being death and then re-entry into the kingdom being life. So let me just give you an example of this from the book of Jeremiah. Okay. So at one point in Jeremiah chapter 27, Jeremiah is speaking to the prophets, priests, and political leadership of Israel. Okay. And he comes into the royal court wearing a wooden yoke on his back. <laughs> like a performance art piece. <laughs> yeah, like in this yoke, walking in, and he's saying, this yoke represents Babylonian oppression. 
like and, a political demonstrator. <laughs> he I really is. He really is. And he comes in and says, if you want to survive, Judah, you must put the yoke on your back. You must go into exile. You must accept Babylonian power. You must submit to it. This is God's will. Dang. <laughs> Just walks into... Yes. A courtroom, like a king's palace, <laughs> a king's palace, wearing a yoke, like like, like one you, like a wooden yoke you would put on oxen okay. or donkeys or something. And so like he would so like, like have his arms up on it or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Okay, like this crossbeam. Yeah, yeah, exactly okay. right. Walks in just wearing that. They'd be like, "What is this yes. yakadoodle doing?" And then the show pr- some decorum. Then the uh, priests uh, look at this thing, this this spectacle, and the chief priest or one of the priests is named Hananiah. Hmm. And he's like, "This isn't true." In two years, Babylonian oppression will end. We don't need to worry about this. We have no reason to do this. And then he takes the yoke and smashes it on the ground and Mm. splinters it. And then Jeremiah responds is, because you splintered this, you won't have a yoke of wood anymore. You'll have a yoke of iron. Oh, which you like probably couldn't even stand with. Yeah, it's like this heavy, heavy yoke of oppression. And he goes on a couple chapters later to mention the exile will be 70 years long. So it's like, to what extent did... The leadership of Israel extend their exile in Babylon? That's a question we do not know. But the point is, at that point in time, the the leadership of Israel increased their guilt and chose a heavy yoke versus the light yoke of Babylonian oppression. So the original idea of like Babylon coming in and taking them was meant to be a kindness, a lighter yoke that could more easily splinter, that wouldn't be as heavy to carry. But because they wouldn't submit to that one, there became this heavy yoke yeah. of iron. Yes. So yeah. I don't know the the mechanics or like the specifics. Like, yeah. oh, it would have been easier for them. But sure. the idea is, is like obedience to the covenant would have been to submit to exile in hope of a return. Right. And that and that submission to death mm-hmm. is actually a light yoke. Is a light yoke. Okay. So all that's Jeremiah, uh-huh. right? Yep. Fast forward to Jesus' day, Matthew 11. Jesus is talking to disciples and Pharisees, and Jesus is in this extended dialogue with the religious leaders of his time. Ah. And they are not listening to him. They're not repenting. They don't recognize who he is. They're plotting to kill him. He pronounces woes against the hard-hearted religious establishment. And then he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon mm. you and learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy mm. and my burden is light. This one, I don't know how directly Jesus is invoking Jeremiah. Like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe there's some argument to be made, but I think it is fascinating that Jesus calls us to take up a yoke. Mm-hmm. And what is that yoke? What must the yoke be if we're thinking biblically, if we're thinking along the lines of Jesus? It must be the yoke of death. Yeah, his cross. His cross. Everyone everyone who comes after me must take up their cross, cross. must and take up their yoke. That's right. Yeah. Judah's yoke was the same. Mm. They had to go into death. Right. Right? That was the lighter yoke. But their, rebel- their refusal to accept it made the yoke harder, made it a yoke, a burden, made it... I mean, it was the death and damnation of many of Israel's leaderships at the time, right? Mm-hmm. The the prophet who prophesied against him died almost immediately after having come into conflict with Jeremiah and his mm-hmm. word. It's fascinating to think about this because you have we have religious leaders with obstinate hearts, and 
he's saying take my yoke upon you, which means they already must have a heavy yoke on them because they're weary, they're heavy laden, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So he says, you're heavy laden. You have a heavy yoke on right now. Yes. Um, and if we are mapping on the context of Jeremiah, it's the, that heavy yoke that the religious leaders had was, we can do it ourselves. We don't need to submit to death. We can create life and flourishing on our own. We don't need mm -hmm. to obey God. We don't need to die. We can figure it out on our own. And Jesus is saying, actually, the lighter yoke is for you to trust me, to die to your own control, die to your own ingenuity, to die to your own sin, yep. and just like, let me take control. Trust mm -hmm. me that there's life on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. You'll find rest there, actually. Like, yeah. go to Babylon. It's okay. Yep. Like, go to death, you know, and you can flourish there. But that takes a lot of trust to, to die and accept the death yes. that he's asking. So, like, I understand what Jeremiah is asking the religious leaders to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, of his day, the kings and the prophets, he's saying, Babylon's coming, don't resist. Mm -hmm. Just let them take you to yeah. uh, their their country. Let them do what they're going to do. Yes. Don't fight. I get that. Yes. That makes sense. It's a political move. Yes. When Jesus is saying, take my yoke on you, learn from mm -hmm. me, because you're weary and heavy laden, what's he asking us to do? Yeah. In this context. In this context. I mean, I think part of the answer is, what is the hope of going into exile for for Jeremiah's people mm. is the hope of return, yeah. the hope of a renewed covenant, the hope of the flourishing God promised back in the day, right? So Jesus is inviting us to die, to mm. take his yoke upon us in hopes of what? The new covenant, right? the law being written on our hearts, right? Yeah. So I think what he's inviting us to do is he's inviting us, and I think he already kind of hinted at it. Mm. It's like we have to give up all of our attempts at self-preservation and mm. self-salvation. Yeah. Judah was trying to save their nation by preserving their nation, by preserving their se sense of sovereignty. We're not going to submit to Babylon. We're going to continue to be Judah. Mm. And Judah is going to be Judah, and we're not going to submit to them because we have a vested interest in being our own sovereign nation. Right. Right? Yes. And I mean, that's every human heart since like day one. We are going to define what's good, right and wrong for ourselves. Mm. I'm the final arbor of decision. I will submit to no king besides my own mind. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly what you have to die to. Mm. You have to die to what your heart wants and says is right so that God can write a new law on that heart and you can be invited into the new covenant life, which, by the way, promises resurrection life. Mm. Yeah, it is fascinating to think about um, self-preservation mm -hmm. in that sense. And even with how much covenant is in Jeremiah and law yeah. is in Jeremiah, thinking about where this is positioned in Matthew 11 and 12... Mm -hmm is like, you know, right, he's talking to religious leaders, they have, they think they're righteous, Jesus is singing a dirge, and they're not listening. He's singing a funeral yeah. song, and they're like, no, we'll live forever. And he's like, you're unrepentant, therefore, it's gonna be really bad for you, it's gonna be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, yep. you know. Uh, but anybody who wants to take on my yoke and die and accept exile, you know, you can, it'll be, it'll be rest. Yes. And then right after that, he goes into a story about rest. He goes he into does. a story about Sabbath, mm -hmm. and it's all about the tension between what does it mean to keep the law, yeah. to obey the covenant, mm -hmm. and is it this self-preservation letter of the law, obedience where we're trying to be in control and figure it out and preserve ourselves and buffer ourselves? Yes. Or is it? Yeah, this... because the, the Pharisees had added all these laws to the Sabbath so yeah. they could keep it perfectly, right. you know. And Jesus critiques them for all those things. Yeah. Yes. And, and he's like, man, just like 
What if come you, and rest? What if you rested in death with me? Yeah. What if you rested from all these attempts at self salvation? But and if I don't do this, 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 and this, will I be fulfilling the covenant? And you have this anxious mind right. that I think Jeremiah said they'd be given he, over to. Yes, he does say that. <laughs> and he like, does that. What if I don't? What if I don't do it? What if I don't do it? And it's like just come and die to that. Come and mm-hmm. die to your attempts to self preserve, mm-hmm. and just actually rest. Yeah. And in that death to self-salvation, mm-hmm. you will find life. That's right. That's a better way. Yeah. We're just exploring like how Jesus is in New Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about just the accidents of his ministry, the things that he says and the way that they parallel things that Jeremiah says. Yep. Um, and the way that any man on the street would have started drawing parallels. And then from there, we've gone like, well, what does symbolically some of those things mean, yes, right? Right. In addition to all these things we've been talking about, the gospel authors are also feeding us ways in which to see Jesus as a new Jeremiah. Okay. So a really simple one is in Matthew 2. In Matthew 2, Jesus goes to Egypt. Mm-hmm. And at, as while, a child. As a child. He goes to Egypt as a child. And then right after that, uh, Herod sends his Gestapo and kills all the infants in Bethlehem mm-hmm. trying to kill this would-be Messiah. And Matthew quotes Jeremiah, and he quotes from Jeremiah 31, the section talking about the dawning of the new covenant. Mm. And before the dawning of the new covenant, there is this outpouring of weeping and grieving of the mothers of Israel. Mm. And so... Matthew is looking at Jesus's history and he's saying, Jeremiah prophesied that there would be a new covenant that would come, but it would only come after this mass weeping. And then he comes along and it's like, that happened with Jesus. Yeah. Jesus goes into Egypt like, like Jeremiah did. And then as he's there, there's this mass weeping. And when he returns, he brings a new covenant. What does Jesus say in Matthew 4? Repent. Yeah. The kingdom of God is at hand. Yes. Matthew is inviting us to see Jesus as a new Jeremiah in the story of his own life. Mm-hmm. And that the the political events of his day are part of what Jeremiah meant when he said that there would be this mass mourning on the eve of the new covenant. Mm. I'm sure there are so many more. There are so many more. I mean, I think the most on-the-nose one, I mean, these are all pretty on-the-nose. Yeah. But what Jeremiah is most famous for is his critique of the temple establishment and his prophecy that the temple and Jerusalem would be burned to the ground. Yeah, Jesus does the same thing, and mm-hmm. it's that claim that actually gets him killed. Right, it's the main thing that the religious leaders bring as the charge against him to ask for his death. That's right, and in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah's story follows the same pattern as Jesus's life. So Jeremiah goes into the courtyard of the temple. God mm-hmm. tells him to go specifically into the courtyard of the temple, proclaim the temple's destruction, after which time the religious leaders come up to him and say, what authority do you have to do these things? Put a, a trial on and put him in prison. Uh, and then eventually he's brought up out of the prison. Wow. Uh, and then Jesus's life kind of plays out this same scenario. Yes. Jesus goes into the courtyard of the temple, pronounces the downfall of the temple, calls them all fruitless fig tree, curses a fig tree. Mm-hmm. So all the religious leaders start questioning his authority to say things like this. He's eventually put on trial and he is killed thrown into the prison of the grave thrown into the prison of the grave and then raised back up out of it just like jeremiah and i'll throw this one in for free jeremiah says that if they would kill him they would be shedding innocent blood Mm. 
And Judas, whenever he gives the money back to the Pharisees for betraying oh, Jesus, right. he quotes Jeremiah and he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. Mm. So Judas even recognizes that he's killed the new Jeremiah, who is like who is anticipated, right? Who is supposed to bring about an end to a corrupt religious system yeah. and the beginning of a new temple in Jesus, in a new temple mm. in this new kingdom Jesus is building. Yeah. So why does it matter that Jesus is a new Jeremiah, because it also means that there's a new religious order. Mm. Jeremiah prophesied the temple would die. Yes. Jesus prophesied the temple would die, but what's taking its place? Repent, the kingdom of heaven that's is... Ex that's exactly right. So why is it important? Because Jesus is bringing about what Jeremiah was anticipating, mm -hmm. the end of a corrupt temple system and the replacement of it with true religion in Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah, and replacing a divorced bride... Yeah. And a, you know, and an unwilling bachelor mm -hmm. <laughs> with a mm -hmm. happily, happily, eternally married couple of yeah. Christ and his bride, the church. Yeah. Um, like it's hard to not end the meditation after all these episodes on Jeremiah on the final marriage of God and his people. Mm -hmm. Like if Jeremiah is about the covenant broken and yes. the promise of restoration, then Jesus deals with the broken covenant and brings that restoration. Yeah. It's he, he, he marries his whoring bride and turns her back into a virgin yeah and makes her blameless and beautiful and perfect and eternally loves her uh mm -hmm. never to be broken again that's right uh yeah which yeah. is again significant why jesus says at the passover meal mm. this is the new covenant in my blood like the new the new marriage in my blood mm -hmm. i'm dying to be married to my people that's right i'm being what jeremiah hoped for mm -hmm. i'm bringing it about you want to hear something else? Uh, as long as it's about the new covenant. <laughs> it's um, kind of about the new covenant. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's about something else, actually. Oh, fine. Uh, um, so another parallel that the gospel authors draw between Jeremiah and Jesus. Mm. So here's what uh, God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 15 and on. Thus says the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. Mm. So I took the cup of the Lord from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and its cities, its kings and its officials to make them a desolation. I went to Pharaoh and had him drink it, and then to the land of Uz and to the Philistines and to Edom and Moab. And in this vision, Jeremiah takes this cup of God's wrath and force feeds it to all the, the leaders of the nations around the world, yeah. causing them to be judged for their evil. Okay? Okay, yep. Forcing them to drink the, this wine of wrath. Yeah. And then verse 28, God says this, And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink, for behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name, and shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, for I am summoning the sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. The way that he ends that, he says, if, they if the nations refuse to drink, remind them that they cannot escape my judgment because I first judge my own people. Right. And if I if I judge my own people, I'm of course going to judge you. So drink the cup. Yes. Drink the cup. Mm, okay. Okay. So this is like a pretty big prophetic moment yeah, in Jeremiah's I would life. Say so. 
and it's another parallel to Jesus's life. I mean, big time. In the Garden of Gethsemane, mm. Jesus talks about this same cup of the wrath of God for the evil and injustice of the world, mm. right? For the yeah. sins of the world. And Jesus at first asked God to not drink it. Right. Right? Yeah. Says, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But not my will, mm-hmm. but yours be done. Right. And then what does he do? He drinks the cup. Right. He dies. He's destroyed. He goes into exile, just like Israel, just mm-hmm. like Philistia, he just like Edom. experiences the wrath of God. He does. As not only the people of God, but the son of God. That's right. Yeah. So this is a an innovation that Jesus brings about. Mm. In Jeremiah, the hope for justice is that the nations that cause evil and do evil are destroyed. Mm-hmm. Jesus comes along and drinks the, the destruction of injustice on himself yeah. and dies in their place. Right. Right? Yes. So anybody who wants to be forgiven of their injustice and sin can come to Jesus and be rescued from the cup of God's wrath. Mm-hmm. This is the gospel, right? Yes, right. This is the gospel. Yes. Um, yeah, it turns the cup of God's wrath into the cup of God's covenant. Right. It turns the wine of drunkenness and judgment into the wine of a wedding feast. That's right. That's exactly right. That's crazy. And it intensifies the judgment for those who refuse to drink it to drink the cup of Jesus's blood uh, because it's n- he says if i if i i already judge my own people i'm of course going to judge you now he's saying i judge my own son and if you refuse to drink his blood of oh, the new covenant man of how course. will i not how will i not punish your injustice right. and evil mm. and so, the other and the other way that to say that is uh you know, since he gave us his own son, how will he not also give us all things? That's is right. the other way. Is the if he's given us way. forgiveness in Jesus, how will he not give us everything He'll else? He'll forgive everything. He'll forgive yeah, everything. Right. That's right. Yeah. So Jesus fulfills this. He offers mm. the forgiveness that God's people would hope for and the the, the certainty of justice against mm. evil and oppression throughout the world and sin throughout the world. Well, he drinks the cup that all nations, all people must drink. He drinks it for us. Yes. And now all we have to do is receive it. Right. As the New Covenant cup. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's powerful. It's super powerful. I'm, I will be thinking about that the next several times I take <laughs> communion. <laughs> yeah. Like, I w- and I kept thinking about that, like yeah. that wine of wrath. Right. That Jesus Jesus drinks on my behalf that mm-hmm. should have been poured into my mouth. Right. Then now I'm drinking the blood of. Right. I mean, it's no wonder that Paul says some have drinking of worthily and died. It's like, yeah, you know, there's it's like very this, in, this is a very potent important. cup of wine. This yes. is powerful alcohol. Like yes. this is either my entire eternal life or my eternal condemnation. Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating because it's it's the it's the wine of God's wrath, which should make us stupor and drunkenly fall to our death. But because Jesus did that, we actually drink it as the product of God's wrath being the blood that was spilled yeah. by the death. And so we're tasting the aftermath of it. Like that be- it's not wrath we taste, it's the result of wrath yeah. being blood, knowing that wrath is dealt with. Yeah. Like it's now blood sweet has wine. been instead of yeah, which makes it sweet. Yeah. And I do love that idea of like the wrath that should have led to a funeral instead became the wine at a wedding. Mm-hmm. Like I do love that picture yeah, too that's right um, i mean that's even hidden in jesus's first miracle the weddings of cana totally he turns the water into wine and that water is in rites of purification jars right. like 
water that was supposed to like assuage some of the wrath of God. Yeah. And that's the wine we drink and enjoy now. Yeah. Oh, so good. Oh, man. That is so cool. Jesus is the new Jeremiah. Jesus, if I, I agree. You, you have agree. convinced me. <laughs> that is amazing. Jesus, the new Jeremiah. Man, anything else to throw in before we close this down and, and oh. put a put a full stop on the book of Jeremiah? I mean, two things. Two one, things. I'll just throw this one out. Another reason to see Jesus as the new Jeremiah. Jeremiah describes himself as a lamb being led away to slaughter. Mm. And Luke does the same thing in the book of Acts. It's exactly the same way that... Man. that Luke will describe Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. Yeah. Jeremiah's imprisonment and you know all the sufferings that he went through were a type of what Jesus did when he died for us on the cross. Yeah. So Luke is just doing the same thing. Man. But hard pivot mm. to nothing about Jesus as the new Jeremiah. Okay. But to the very last scene in the book of Jeremiah. All right. So the very last scene in the book of Jeremiah is taken from the book of Kings, actually. It's like almost a, like an edit, like an edited form of the end of book of Kings oh, is added okay. right here. And Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim's son. Okay. So the evil king Jehoiakim, responsible for one of the waves of exiles, right? Mm. And his son is placed on the throne for three months, but he's such a sympathizer with Babylon. He just surrenders really quickly, robs God's temple, sends it all to Babylon, and just follows God's treasures into Babylon and just lives in Babylon. Zedekiah is the next king of Israel, and Israel's history goes on without Jehoiakim. But the very, very last scene is that this faithless king, after Israel has been entirely destroyed, that they've dissolved into the nations around, is that this faithless king is raised up and sits at the royal table of the king of Babylon. And raised up from prison? Raised up from prison. Like Jeremiah. Like Jeremiah. Sits at the royal table of Babylon, is given food for as long as he lives. Tiny Uh, glimmer of hope for a horrible person. Yes. And really, he's like a cipher, a symbol for all of Israel Mm -hmm. and for all humanity. Mm. We're all Jehoiakim. Right. We're all in prison of our own making yep. or at, at, at the power of others. Yep. And of our own desert. Uh, yes, of, of what we deserve. Right. And God, in mm. his mercy and love, will raise us up to a king's table. Take off our prison clothes. Take off our prison clothes and give us all that we need for as long as we live. Man. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's how the book ends. That's how the book ends, yeah. Is this hope of a return and a feast and a welcome yeah. from the king Yeah, for prisoners and scallywags. Scallywags, <laughs> that's, what, that's what we are. <laughs> well, Seth, thank you so much, and thank you to, to Christine, who mm-hmm. you guys put so much thought and care into studying Jeremiah over the last month. So yes. I got to reap the benefits. All of our listeners get to reap the benefits. So we honor and thank you guys for doing that so well. And we thank all of you for following us along in the book of Jeremiah. We're so grateful for this community. We love walking through books of the Bible with you. Thank you for all your prayers, your engagement, your support. We, uh, we just appreciate you all. We hope Jeremiah um, just blesses you deeply as you dive into it. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next time.